0: Thanks for joining me today, and I'll start by saying you're a shareholder of size, six-figure position, as is the Howard Group, as is members of our team and family and everything else. But you started buying the stock, and I want to talk about this before we get into the report, going all the way back to early 2021, and you were buying it again as late as uh, late 2022. Sure. So going back a couple of years ago, what convinced you to start taking a position in Global X?
1: So, you know Keith Schaefer. Mm-hmm. Uh, he asked me to take a look at it. The newsletter writer. Yeah, newsletter writer. And he wanted some help on writing news. He does that sometimes. wanted some help on writing a newsletter. So I looked at it, and I liked it. I mean, it was a very different world at that point in time. You know, it was very easy to make money in the market at that point in time. But I looked at it, I thought it was a good post-pandemic play. So uh, as airlines got back in business, when people started flying again, it made sense that their business would be in good shape there. And then the e-commerce angle as well. I thought that was going to continue because like my parents, of all people, in their 80s, use e-commerce now. So it was like, okay, this just sped up the adoption Mm -hmm. of e-commerce. The whole concept seemed pretty good. They didn't have any revenue at the time. They didn't have their part. 121. So it was all into the future, but I liked it as a, a post-pandemic play. Um, I acquired some in early 2021. Uh, I sold some in late 2021, basically at the onset of uh, Omicron. I was nervous about what was going on. I was selling a lot of positions at that point in time. Time progressed. I kept watching them. I still had a position, uh, and as they continued to execute, and what I thought it was a good job uh, cuz they got they got quite a few planes to begin with it's been an, it slowed down but i thought the momentum was there i liked what they were doing <clears throat> and i started acquiring more stock between q2 and q4 of 2022
0: okay let's talk about the report yeah very detailed you in the disclaimer it's for informational purposes sure. only sure lots of charts graphs everything else yeah did a very deep dive and the growth scenarios, it's a difficult situation because you're trying to estimate when planes are going to arrive, and of course that has a yeah. bearing on you know, the returns in EBITDA and EBITDA and everything else. So let's just start with the fleet growth. What were the challenges around trying to well, forecast the, that? The
1: fleet growth itself is pretty easy because they said we're going to look at a range between guidance at 11 planes, so 9 passenger, which they have now, And two cargo, which they don't have yet, we're hoping they get the 411 soon. So that's your base case, that's your guidance. That's what the revenue guidance, their EBITDA, which is not a number, but positive, and positive are. They're saying based on 11 planes, so easy. And then on the target, it's 12 passenger and 6 cargo. Probably a stretch, but those are the barbells, so in terms of growth, no big deal. Where it's more challenging is predicting revenues and predicting costs. So the revenues are a mix of ACMA and charter, and they get different rates for ACMA and charter. And if you look at, say, Q4 of 2022 and Q1 of 2023, you had a 27% increase in block hours, but you had basically the same revenues. That just depends on what your mix of revenues is. ACMI and charter. And some of those costs for charter or ACMI just flow through, but getting the revenue right is kind of tough. And then on the yeah. cost side, they're not building an air airline for 11 planes. Their costs are more in the lines with their 18 aircraft.
0: For this
1: year. For this year. So they've got all their certifications now except for one. So that I don't know what the costs associated with, with those are, but it's significant, They've built up their pilot pool. They've told us they're going to continue to build their pilot pool into Q2. So we know they're spending for 18 aircraft or something more than 11. And then the revenues will catch up as they get more airplanes. So that's the big challenge.
0: And that's the upside case for 2023 that you presented in your report, which happens to match the base case for 2024. Right. And then the upside cases yeah. was 30 aircraft, which is a mix of the passenger and cargo. So there's a lot of variables for sure. people to follow as, as Global X progresses. Let's talk about risk mitigation, because you addressed this in the report. And in terms of the business model, do you think that a lot of people appreciate how risk has been mitigated? Or are they just sort of lumping Global X in as, you know, it's just another airline type of thing?
1: It's, it's hard to tell, but that's one of the things I really like about the business. They know what their margins have to be, and they don't fly unless they can get the, the, those margins at least. So they control their their operations, and they control the revenues, because they get paid in advance, uh, they don't take uh, ticket risk, and they pass on the fuel risk to the person they're flying for. So, really, they're not going to fly unless they know they're going to make a certain margin. So, that's, you know, once you're an established airline, say, in Canada, we're thinking Air Canada, U.S., it's United or Delta, you know, it's almost a given that they know things are going to happen. But, in a growing airline, having to take those risks would be much more challenging. So, taking those risks out of the equation, I think, is very attractive. I don't think the market fully appreciates it, but... Hopefully they will over time.
0: Well, let's talk about that. I'm going to quote. You wrote in your report that the market is myopically focused on near-term challenges. And further with that quote, with some good news on aircraft deliveries and a resolution on the financing uncertainty, we believe Global X management will finally see some of the credit it deserves by a share price appreciation. Can you get into those points a bit
1: more? Sure. Uh, They now have seven quarters since they've gone into revenue service. So we can look at their financials and look at what's happened over the last seven quarters. And all that data that we see gives us some better indication of what's going to happen in the future. So I think there's a better way to measure the company other than just on number of aircrafts that are being delivered. It's been frustrating. They've been too optimistic. But I have no idea why the aircrafts aren't being delivered. And I think it's almost 100% out of their control. So this is part of the reason why I like the fact that they've given us guidance on 11 planes. I don't think they're going to end 2023 with 11 planes. But they've given us guidance, so guidance is, in my opinion, something that's meant to be beat. So I think there's a very good chance that they beat their guidance. But if, if we look at it, um, I just think you got to move beyond just looking at aircraft and look at what they've done to grow the business. All the certifications are incredibly valuable. They're not showing their worth as of yet, but I think they will in time. Same thing with building the pilot pool. Uh, it's more about what's going to happen in the future. And you can see that they've increased their utilizations. So their assets that they've got now, they're getting more value out of those assets. So those things have to be factored in. And I think particularly as time goes on, they will be. A lot of the costs of certifications and accreditations are behind them. Uh, The pilot pool is now built up for something larger than uh, 11 aircraft. So I think we're going to see as we get more aircraft some of the benefits of what they're spending uh, has been in the past.
0: On the point about the financing uncertainty, right, which is very important, because until people know how much money is going to be raised, the nature of it, is it equity, debt, whatever yep. the combination might be, that's the fuel that would allow them to really propel growth and make longer-term commitments. Right but the market still seems to be a little bit apprehensive for for some unknown reason or reasons. Do you think there's more at play here that what Global X is going to need, especially as it's a U.S. operation, is to be able to attract a name-brand U.S. investment firm to really get behind it, not only on the financing side, but on the market side, and then trumpet the name as, hey folks, you've got to look at this thing and start to think of it two or three years down the road. Yeah. Do you think that's a reasonable assertion?
1: Well, I, yeah, I'd love to see more institutional investors and more, uh, more investment houses, you know, uh, investment dealers involved, but the reality is most of the finance that they need now is to manage working capital. So that's not a lot of money. So, and they don't want to raise equity at depressed prices. I'm not sure what they're going to do exactly. Our assumption was that they would raise 15 million worth of equity at a dollar US, which today wouldn't really happen, but hopefully, as they like, I don't know exactly what their needs are in the very near term, but I'm thinking sometime this year. Um, The challenge is 15 million bucks isn't worth it for most people. So investment dealers would be more interested if they were thinking $50 million bucks, because they get paid based on raising money.
0: Especially in the U.S.
1: Especially in the U.S. So it's going to be hard to attract investment dealers in the near term. I think over the long term, yeah. Uh, and the same thing goes for institutional investors. It's really difficult to acquire stock. So you really have to be committed to doing it. And then anybody who wants to buy something in size, there's no opportunity. So I dealt with institutions for a long time. And most of them like to buy on a deal. So the deal that you're talking about that would bring uh, larger institutions in probably isn't happening for a while.
0: Calculated a base case and an upside case, yep. and I'm referring to 2024 now. Yep. I just want to make sure I get all the numbers right. And that the upside case was based on 18 passenger and 12 cargo. So even if it's not 2024, 20, say a little bit after, they actually are able to hit that because all the financing pieces and everything else fall into place. Yeah. You came up with a fair value on the stock. It was a little over five US and a little under seven Canadian. So can you give us some idea of? based on all of those numbers, the fair value, the timing of that. Yeah. <laughs> that I know it's difficult, yeah. but if people are looking at it saying, well, that's about six times the current stock price. Yeah. Is that one year, two years? It's a little crystal ball rubbing now. But if we just use the upside case numbers, yeah. are you thinking a couple of years from now or what?
1: Sure, sure. Well, there's a couple of things. One is obviously they have to execute on deliveries and revenues. And I think challenge, too, is, uh, as I said, revenues and costs. Uh, it's not going to be 11 aircraft. It's hard to get to their $140 million revenue number. I get beyond that. I get $148 million for 2023 on the base case. Uh, and then the costs, I'm probably a little light on cost, but I have negative EBITDA in 2023 versus their projection, or sorry, negative EBITDA for 2023 versus their projection for positive EBITDA. So there's a lot of uncertainty. That's kind of what I'm getting at. What we think is it's going to be better. It's going to be better than their base case, and hopefully the market's going to be a lot better. Because there's a lot of uncertainty macro-wise in the market, which is having a huge effect on everything, just the market in general. So, we get into the end of 2023, early 2024, we have a better market, we have more visibility on revenue, we have better visibility on costs, like run rate type costs. Uh, and then when we get into 2024, we're still thinking EV to EBITDA targets that are one year forward. So then we're thinking 2025. So, you know, there's a lot that's going to change, and I think the big changes are going to come mostly in Q3 of this year because we're going to see, you know, Q2 is going to be interesting, but Q2 goes to the end of June. And Q3 we're is August, yeah. uh, July and August, and I think those are going to be traditionally very strong months. They look like they'll be strong months. So I guess... I haven't given you an answer yet, but uh, we're expecting to see an upward trajectory. If you get to the 18 and 12, or even if you get partway there, that number seems like it's reasonable, like $5 U.S. seems like it's reasonable kind of late 2024. But then you're measuring everything based on 2025. You're going to have higher revenues... Hopefully a a higher multiple. So I'm using a 5.5 times EV to EBITDA multiple based on the comps. Uh, What we saw in COVID is that spiked up to 9.6 times, which doesn't make sense. It was too high. Now we're at basically 10-year lows. I think a normal multiple would be six and a half times. If I took that same six and a half time multiple to my 2024 estimates for the base case, my numbers would be 35% higher. For my upside case, to be 25% higher, so there's,
0: many multiples. There's a lot of variables. Yes. On that point about valuations, we look at the sector, yeah. and in your report, you've got into peer group comparisons, Yeah. and I'm only getting into this to give folks some idea of what's happened with the sector.
1: Right.
0: Just two of the companies, and I think there were half a dozen or so, it was Sun Country Airlines yep. which is similar in nature but bigger yep, to global. And then cargo jet. Yeah. Sun Country a couple of years ago was over forty three US. Yeah. Now it's eighteen barely holding eighteen dollars right. a share. Right. Cargo Jet in the same time frame was over two hundred and fifty dollars per share Canadian. Yeah. And it's treading water literally over a hundred bucks right now. So those very large companies have really taken a hit as well they're down far more than 50 percent sure i don't think that a lot of people tend to look at what's going on in the sector but because global x is we'll call it an emerging charter and cargo operation do you think the valuations impact global x as much as they would say larger entities
1: yeah well it's it's a good question i mean the market has an effect on everything, and the market is in not in good shape for all sorts of different reasons, whether it 's Silicon Valley Bank or interest rates or the next rate hike, you know consumer confidence there's all sorts of reasons you know, I can go on and on and on about you know war in the Ukraine, russia issue all sorts of stuff a lot of those things weren't factored, and weren't a factor in 2021. When you're talking about Sun Country at 250 bucks, and I think it and basically the cargo only... Cargo Jet was 250 Oh, okay, okay. Sun Country was 43 Sorry, years. sorry, my mistake. Anyway, uh, those were extreme valuations in a market that was rewarding things in strange ways. I, in the report, you saw that the average EVD, EBITDA multiple was six and a half times mm-hmm. over the last 10 years. So it spiked up, like I said, 9.6 times in, during COVID times. During the height of COVID times, and e-commerce was booming, cargo jet was also booming. So those prices were unrealistic for the long term. But I'd say prices are unrealistically low now for the long term as well. So we're going to end up at something that looks like, in my opinion, six and a half times multiple. So there's upside to both those stocks. I think there's more upside to Global X because of the nature of their business and because it hasn't really caught on yet. You know, you look at and all these companies that started at some point as a much smaller entity, but we're trying to compare a very small startup to a much larger, larger industry player in all of our comps. It's as good as we can do to generate those comps, but... They're still kind of out of of the league of of where Global X is. But
0: every large company started as a small company. Absolutely, people maybe forget that. Yeah. And obviously, this is going to be your personal opinion.
1: Yeah.
0: Do you think there's an end game for Global X? They get to a certain size, whatever is the right size, and then a larger company comes in and takes them out. Or do you think it's a more likely case of where they just keep growing and growing and growing and become a literally a global brand? Because Ed Weigel, the CEO, has talked about expansion to South America and Europe sure. and all sorts of things. Yeah. Do you have any feeling about that?
1: Uh that's a management question. Uh, anybody who invests shouldn't, in my opinion, anyway, shouldn't be investing for some kind of takeout or sale process. It's just—it's a bad strategy. So you have to look at the fundamentals of the company and say, do I like the fundamentals? Is it something that I think is going to improve? Is it going to get better in the future? Or is it going to get worse in the future? I just think the fundamentals say that this company's more likely to go up than down, of course. And if you get a transaction along the way, that's great. I think that really depends on their cargo business, though. So that's the sex appeal in the company. And the company, you know, both Ed and Ryan have said it on multiple different occasions. You know, the free cash flow generating capacity of the cargo business is exceptional. So if they do find, and we haven't seen, we've seen uh, 410 GX, which is their first cargo plane. From a utilization perspective, it's been great. It's a single contract. If they can get more of those types of contracts on new cargo planes, Uh, We're going to see the effect of the revenues uh, in Q2 and then into Q3 and hopefully more planes. So if the cargo business looks as good as everybody thinks on the global X front, I think there's some incentive to just take it out. But I wouldn't be investing thinking that it's going to be a takeout candidate. And I trust management to manage their business appropriately. It's up to the shareholders, you know, they'll, they'll work in the best interest of the shareholders. And I know that management and insider own 41% of the stock. Mm-hmm. So if they get a blowout price and it seems like that's the right thing to do, I trust them to do the right thing. But, like I said, it's the fundamentals that I'm more concerned about.
0: We're just about getting ready to wrap, but any closing comments?
1: Uh, no, I mean, the, the stock... Given the market, given you know the delays to aircraft and stuff, the stock is behaving really just fine. You know, it's a story about the future for sure, and I think there's a very strong indication that 2023 is going to be a turnaround year for them. Uh, and it's the stock's way up from 2022 to 2023. We saw it spike up. But it didn't hold those levels in the high 170s, 180s. But I think with some good news, um, like I said before, on the financing and on aircraft delivery, I think 2023 is going to be a good year for the company. And, and hopefully, people will start to think along the same lines. Let's measure this in terms of revenue growth, in terms of to EBITDA. Let's not focus 100% on the planes. The planes have been very frustrating, there's no question, but just as frustrating, probably more so to management than it is to shareholders. So I'm hoping that that plane delivery schedule improves and we start to get a little bit more credit for all the other things that they've done because I think they've done a fantastic job. Thank you. No problem. Cheers. Cheers.